Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Ashley Walker. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, it's Radon Action Month, a new law to protect rental tenants and pets, navigating student loans, but first. Eminence Bill Warner is here with an update on the week's political goings-on, which range all the way from the state flag to red flag. Well, you are correct, Tasha. But before we get to Minnesota's new laws, including red flag, and of course the week in presidential politics, let's talk first about that continuing controversy over redesigning the Minnesota state flag. The Crow Wing County Board started out the new year by passing a resolution, three eyes, one nay, and one voting present, that opposes any changes to the Minnesota state flag and seal. State Representative Ben Davis of Merrifield thanked the commissioners for taking a stand. This is an issue where metropolitan politicians have shut out the voice of Greater Minnesota, and I just wanted to thank you folks for being a voice, not just for Crow Wing County, but for all of greater Minnesota. But Board Chair John Lubke read from several messages from constituents. There are people out there that that aren't here but have sent the stuff. I hope this issue does not distract the Crow Wing County commissioners away from the issues of the county. Governor Tim Walls said about the Crow Wing County Board's resolution opposing the new Minnesota state flag. They certainly have every right to say they disagree, but Again, I appreciate their input. Walls was asked what he thinks of the design for the new state flag. Yeah, I think it's great, and I think all the principles that go to it, and I think once you see this, it's unifying. It's something that stands out. The Special Commission's designs for the new state flag and seal become official on Statehood Day, May 11th, 2024, unless the legislature intervenes. People of Minnesota need to be heard through their elected member of the Senate and the House as to whether the flag and the seal that is a product of this committee should be approved or not. Says Republican Senator Steve Draskowski from Mazeppa in southeast Minnesota, who last week, along with fellow GOP Representative Bjorn Olson from Fairmont, issued a report outlining their objections to how the final designs for the state flag and seal were chosen. Draskowski says public input was not solicited, consistent with state law. When it arrived, that input was never analyzed. Essentially, the public input was ignored. And Draskowski says the special commission instead focused almost exclusively on flag design experts. Democratic Representative Mike Freiberg from Golden Valley differs. When the dust settles on this, I think people will look back on the work we did with appreciation. But Republican Senator Draskowski says he will introduce legislation next session putting the flag and seal designs to a statewide vote. He says if they're approved, the people of Minnesota can then gather around them in unison. If not, then the idea would be, you know what, the legislature, you, if you want to redo the, the seal and flag, you need to do a better job and involve the people in the process. But Democratic Senator Mary Kunish from New Brighton says... I think that our new flag design is going to serve Minnesota well into the future. And just really very proud of the people that participated and the work for positive change for Minnesota. That's an update on the current situation on the state flag. Now let's talk about red flag. That new state law, which took effect January 1st, allows household members, law enforcement, prosecutors, or a guardian to ask a court for what's called an extreme risk protection order that would ban someone from possessing firearms for up to a year if they're judged a danger to themselves or others. It was hotly debated during the 2023 legislative session. The reality of this is we're trying to save lives here. We're trying to prevent 
more mass shootings in our communities. New Hope Democrat Cedric Frazier said it does not confiscate guns without due process, but Pennington Republican Matt Bliss warned law enforcement will confiscate the firearms, however. They're going to leave that person in the house with this person that they're saying is a danger to themselves or others with hammers, knives, fists. And Delano Representative Joe McDonald warned. Second Amendment rights being just completely taken away from our law-abiding citizens. But Governor Tim Walz this week celebrated that new law. This is smart, and I say this as a gun owner, as a veteran, as a lifelong hunter, none of these things infringe upon your constitutional rights to safe usage of firearms. What they do do is they save lives and they make our cities and our homes a little bit safer. Another new law that took effect this week means nearly all Minnesota workers earn sick and safe time at their jobs. An hour for every 30 hours worked up to 48 hours a year. Senate bill sponsor St. Paul Democrat Sandy Pappas says coming out of a pandemic. We know how important it is for people to stay home when they're sick so they don't spread their illness to their fellow workers and then the entire business would have to shut down. But Lauren Schothorst with the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce says sick and safe time record-keeping changes costing businesses thousands of dollars. She says some might have to change their flexible work schedules or health care benefits or available vacation. You might have had a certain number of vacation days. Now it's being absorbed into the sick and safe time a number of hours. Schothorst contends it's basically a new paid time off policy that employers have little control over. And this week, Minnesota's entire Republican U.S. House delegation, Representatives Tom Emmer, Pete Stauber, Michelle Fischbach, and Brad Finstead, all endorsed former President Donald Trump's re-election bid. That sparked a flurry of criticism from opponents. It came the day after Trump told Breitbart News he'll make a heavy play for Minnesota, a state he says hasn't been won in years. Marissa Luna with the Alliance for Better Minnesota says... Minnesotans need to remember how much Donald Trump's agenda has already hurt us and our community, and he is going to continue to push the same harmful, anti-democratic agenda that is continuing to hurt our families and communities even still today. Minnesota's Republican U.S. House members in a joint statement said, quote, Joe Biden's failed policies have left Minnesotans to grapple with double-digit inflation, higher taxes, and a border crisis that has turned every community into a border community. Former President Trump this week asked the U.S. Supreme Court to strike down a ruling by Colorado's Supreme Court barring him from the ballot in that state. In November, the Minnesota Supreme Court denied a request to keep Trump's name off Minnesota's presidential primary ballot in March. Hamlin University legal and political analyst David Schultz says that question has to be addressed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Because if it doesn't, you're going to see a patchwork across the country where different states reach potentially different conclusions regarding Trump's eligibility. Schultz says the issue also has to be resolved pretty quickly with the Iowa caucuses fast approaching in mid-January in the New Hampshire primary only about a week after that. Tasha? Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult and it can be even harder during times like these when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, Quit Partner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, Quit Partner offers free support like one-on-one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and Quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of quit coaching and quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. 
And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit quitpartnermn.com or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. State health officials are encouraging Minnesotans to test their homes for radon gas this month. On this week's show, MNN's Brent Palm talks with Dan Trantner from the Indoor Program about Radon Action Month and the annual winter push for testing. Why is January the month? Why would this be the time of year? It's going to be a little different this year, right? Well, we'll see how things go this, this winter in January. Temperatures are fairly cold, so people are going to have their uh, windows and doors closed. So the main reason we test in January is levels can be a little bit higher in the middle of winter. And also to some extent, heating of the house can drive radon into the house. So the more we're running the furnace, the more that can drive radon into the home. Then lastly, when the ground is frozen, um, that can also help uh, drive some radon. I do want to emphasize that you can test any time of the year, um, and you can detect high levels in spring, summer, fall. So you don't want people to skip testing in spring, summer, or fall. You can test any time of the year. It's just that uh, it might be a little bit higher in the winter, and that's why we make our big push in January to encourage people to test their homes. Hey, let me go go back to square one, layperson's terms. What is radon, and why do we not want radon in our homes? Radon is a gas. You can't see it smell it, taste it. It's a type of radiation and it comes from the soil and it can seep into our homes and build up to high levels. When you breathe radon for a while, it can damage your lung tissue because again, it is a type of radiation. That damage, if uh, your lung doesn't repair it correctly, can lead to lung cancer. And radon is the second leading cause of lung cancer after smoking. It's estimated to cause about 21,000 lung cancer deaths per year in the United States. So it's a very significant environmental carcinogen. And we want all Minnesotans to learn about this gas and to know the good news is that we have reliable methods to test for it and to fix your homes. And uh, there are simple test kits out there. You can contact your local health department to see if they have test kits. You can go online through our website we have links to a vendor that sells them for $12.95 per test kit. You can also get them at hardware stores. And if you want, you can hire a licensed professional. For example, if you're buying a home, we recommend you hire a licensed radon professional to do the testing. Or if you're testing a large building, it's a good idea to hire a professional to test. I think you mentioned that Minnesota something in our soil, you know, maybe has higher levels than other states. Is that correct? It is correct that we have some of the highest radon levels in the country. We're certainly a top 10 state in terms of average indoor radon levels. All across the upper Midwest, there are high radon levels. And yes, it does have to do with the soil. We naturally have a lot of uranium in our soil and higher than many parts of the country. The other factor at play is, again, our homes are closed up most of the year. So we have long winters where we're heating our homes, and we have hot summers, again, where our homes are closed up. And so a combination of the source strength and this driving force of us heating our home and cooling our home and the home being closed up can lead to high levels building up in our homes. If you did take a radon test, your levels were high in your home. What are some of the remedies? What are some of those fixes that you mentioned? 
the first step is to test your home, as you mentioned. So if you've never tested your home before, I'd recommend you test right away. Again, you can test any time of the year. Just follow the instructions on the test kit. Or you might want to do a second test sort of for confirmation as a follow-up to verify the initial tests were high. And once you've determined it's elevated, and, and the number we look at is four, four picocuries per liter. Those are the units of radiation. So if your test results come back at or above four, we highly recommend hiring a professional to install a radon reduction system. So we license these pros. They're trained and qualified to reduce radon in your home. And they'll install a pipe that starts underneath the home. And that is uh, routed up through the house or up the side of the house. There's a fan in line, and that fan runs continuously. It's a low wattage fan. What that does is it uh, pulls air out from under the house and redirects soil gases. So instead of the radon coming into your home, it will stay in the soil. Some of it will get uh, vented out to the outdoors. And th these are very reliable and effective methods to reduce radon. Is it expensive? <laughs> it, there is a cost, and that can be a roadblock for some uh, people. Uh, it can cost between $1,500 and $3,000 for most homes. Hey, any idea, Dan, what percentage of homes in Minnesota have had to put in a radon mitigation system? We do have maps. We have data on our website if uh, your listeners want to explore that information. And we've analyzed uh, over 200,000 um, test results for homes. And we found across our state about 40% or two in five homes have tested high, meaning above that action level of four. So almost half our homes that haven't been uh, fixed have uh, had high radon. It's a very common problem, a prevalent issue that everyone should know about. Every part of Minnesota, every zip code has had houses that have tested high. So we do recommend everyone test. It doesn't matter if your house is old or new, drafty or well-sealed. Um, the type of soil, whether it's clay or sandy, doesn't much matter. So everyone should test their home just to find out if this uh, environmental carcinogen could be present at high levels. Well, Dan Trantner with the uh, Indoor Air Program at the Department of Health, we appreciate all the information, and we will definitely get the word out it's still a good time to test. The, our homes are closed up. The heat is on, uh, so you may find levels are a little bit higher. But again, uh, you can test any time of the year. And, and when you're buying a house, it's, it's a really good time to test. For example, during the home inspection, you could use a licensed pro to do the testing. Thanks, Brent. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Did you know that before 2024, Minnesota landlords could require renters to surgically alter their pets to live in their units? Eminence Ashley Walker spoke with State Representative Maria Isa Perez-Vega about inclusion in the newest tenant rights laws beginning this year that protects pets from being declawed or devocalized by landlords. So first, Representative, I was wondering if you could explain in your own words what comes with these new tenant protections, what the specific article about pet protection includes, and what you think of it. Yes. So my first legislative session, I was honored to be able to carry and work on this legislation, in particularly because, one, I am a renter, uh, two, prioritizing what that is for tenants' laws, everything from housing affordability and rent stabilization in the city where I represent at the capital um, of the capital city of St. Paul, 
Um, I've always ran into hearing on my first campaign trail so many uh, different, uh, you know, just disadvantages and opportunities that uh, were blocked for renters because of animal rights, um, in particularly with new developers um, placing uh, concerns with animals, specifically cats, felines, and dogs, canines, to be uh, declawed um, or literally devocalized. And I didn't even know that devocalizing for a dog was actually a surgical procedure that landlords could literally tell folks, you can't come in here unless you do this. So that right there, being a dog owner, really um, gained my interest in hearing what folks have stated and my constituents' concerns. I have a lot of renters in my district, obviously, with downtown and uh, folks wanting to gain more of a residential uh, environment-friendly atmosphere for animals uh, in our park systems. So I just thought, why is this even, would this even be legal? Um, and then learning from so many different vets and learning from uh, advocates within the Humane Society about the procedure within our declawing of cats. You know, I've heard of cats getting their claws declawed because they, they're scratching all over, you know, uh, they, they may have been abandoned and had some tra traumatizing issues. But then I also recognize that if you declaw the animal, the effects that that actually has around amenities, or if we're talking about renters, amenities, cats tend to uh, spray more. So, you know, I learned all of this while folks were really having to consider the fact, am I going to have to leave my apartment or my place of residence or, you know, literally go through an expensive procedure, one, and two, a traumatizing ex experience for our little family fur balls and our dogs. I have a dog being type 1 diabetic. He's trying to tell me when my sugars are dropping um, or that I may be in uh, in need of insulin. And so to me, I'm like, that would not that, you know, that 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 would attack the opportunity for animals to actually even to provide more for society as well. So I'm kind of rambling on. I'm passionate about animals. I have a fur, I have a dog, and I have many friends with cats who, you know, were placed on the thin line of ice here. If this was, uh, if we didn't pass this law, you know, they would have to kind of go to the extremity of having to find a new place to live. And as someone who has a cat themselves, I've read about the science behind declawing and devocalization, and I had no idea that landlords could require this in order to have a place to live. In your own words, it makes people choose between their pets and a safe place to live. That's exactly such a, it, it's absurd. And, you know, just the, the procedure and how technical learning how it is. It's, it, for years of provision perspective, in, in our cases, you know, humans is imagine being forced to, to cut your fingers down to the knuckle in order to, for you to just live in your home <laughs> with your family. So, you know, when you put it into that context, I think folks kind of just, whoa, gasp. Um, but a lot of people didn't even know that this was actually an issue. So that right there, I, I just am happy that it got included in our House Omnibus Bill. Um, we had a hearing in the House on it, and it went through, you know, between both sides of the aisles of my colleagues. And I think when you put it into perspective, like, you get a dog, you know your dog barks, you know. Um, 
and for that to be somehow what justified by law to being illegal that 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 kind of twisted some heads um within our housing committee and then the advocacy i think jumped on board right away uh with folks actually feeling the same way that you did that they didn't even think that this was um legal or even a thing to to bring about when we talk about tenant rights this inclusion could ease a lot of renters minds on having to surgically alter their pets and then also pay for it Absolutely. Or even just finding residential areas that are going to be accommodating for their lifestyle um, that's including to pets. You know, I think about so many people who may not have children, but they have uh, their cats and their dogs. Um, and and that's, that's to be responsive and that should be a, a place of, of, of comfort where regardless if you are a renter or a homeowner, that your pets are safe just where you are. Well, those are the main questions I had for you, Representative. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I'm just happy that our cats can keep their claws and our dogs can keep their voices. <laughs> Eminence Ashley Walker and State Representative Esau Perez-Vega. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection... There's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radald. Navigating student loans can be challenging for many, but a new program through Self Loan has launched a new success coaching service for first-year self-borrowers. Joining me today is Laura Erdman, Self Loan Student Success Manager at the Minnesota Office of Higher Education. The Self Loan really has been going through strategic planning to think a little bit about how we can improve the student experience and really take student success and put it at the forefront of all the things that we're doing within the loan operation. Uh, And so back in 2021, this strategic effort was implemented to start a student success program with the emphasis on success coaching. Uh, So we've worked for since 2021 with a nonprofit organization called Inside Track, and they provide coaching and strategic capacity building to teach people how to utilize success coaching and implement the skills with students in higher education in order for them to set personal goals, academic goals, uh, career goals, and then really come up with action plans in order to achieve the goals that they set out. So we have been working with Inside Track, and in the last year, we have hired four success coaches within self-loan and implemented this program ourselves with the launch back in September. And, you know, I know one of the biggest parts of, of moving forward with education is, is student loans. And I know for me that was a, a nightmare back in the day. And I know you yeah. folks are really, um, you know, putting together a team 
and, and helping folks uh, navigate this pro- process. Can you tell us a little bit about the self-loan? Oh, sure. So the self-loan is a student loan option that's administered by the Minnesota Office of Higher Education, which is a state agency. And self-loan really works hard to make the student loan borrowing experience easier and less intimidating. So we're trying to demystify the loan process and provide resources that are going to empower borrowers because we know that investing in your education and your future is worth it. So some unique attributes of the self-loan is that students will know before they apply what the interest rate is going to be. And interest rates are the same for everyone. They're not based on credit scores like many other private loans. So this really helps more Minnesotans get the lower rate and increase the access to higher education. Uh, we, we have about 400 institutions across the nation that are self-loan eligible. And this loan option is really great for students to consider if they are a Minnesota resident attending any of these eligible institutions, or if they're an out-of-state student attending an eligible institution here in Minnesota. And going back um, a little bit and talking a little bit more about um, the success coaches uh, that are working with these students. We launched in early September with success coaching and our outreach. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive from students. So what we're hearing is that students are really appreciative of the ability to sort of step back from the hustle and bustle of the college life and think about the big picture goals and the why of being at college. Because a lot of our students are traditional age, they're first year students, and they're pretty overwhelmed by the student experience. And it's really nice to be able to step back and say, what is it that I need to focus on most? And then what action steps do I need to put in place to reach my goals? And students have really said that working with their coach provides that sort of thought partnership or the ability to think out loud um, and reduce some of that feeling of overwhelm as they're diving into their academics or exploring careers or understanding how to get involved on campus. The other piece that we've heard from a lot of students is they really, really appreciate the accountability that the coaches can provide them sort of in this virtual setting. So our services are all virtual. Students can choose to do video meetings with their coach or phone calls. Uh, They can interact with their coach over text message. It's really whatever is most effective for the student. And students are really, really um, grateful for the ability to have that flexibility. Students are using different techniques that they're talking about with their coach, whether it's, you know, using a planner to organize their classes or how to effectively manage their time and their courses um, or how to set a budget and understand what their spending looks like while in college. So students have, we've really had a, a lot of great feedback and this program has been really well received. And Lauren, I have to ask, so is this, who would be the ideal candidate? Is this someone that's going to perhaps begin their first year of college or already in college, or who is this ideal candidate uh, for success coaching? Great question. So this year, because we are in that capacity building phase, we are focusing on first-time loan borrowers who are in their first year of college. And we are working with students from all different types of higher education backgrounds. So it could be students who are seeking certificates and diplomas like trade schools or cosmetology certifications as well as students who are seeking an associate's or bachelor's degree. So as long as they meet that first-time self-loan borrower, first-year student, they are eligible to take advantage of these services. Thanks again to my guest, Lauren Erdman, self-loan student success manager at the Minnesota Office of Higher Education. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station. Same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel.